welcome to The Bicycle Story. I'm your host, Josh Cohen. On today's show, I talked to professional mountain biker Amanda Batty. I first learned about Amanda a little over a year ago. She was working as a freelance writer for the mountain bike media giant Pink Bike, and spoke up about a colleague using a date rate metaphor in a bike review. As is often the case for women on the internet, the response was incredibly ugly. Amanda received hate mail, death threats, and more. She and I had a good, sobering conversation about rape culture and the treatment of women in the bike industry and broader culture. We also talked about her experience as an ambitious racer trying to break into the highest ranks of World Cup downhill and what keeps her motivated through all the struggle. Maybe it goes without saying, but we talk a lot about heavy subjects like rape culture and harassment in this episode, so keep that in mind. On a small technical note, I had some mic trouble during the recording. I apologize for the scratchy audio that pops in at times. But luckily, it's mostly just when I'm talking. Here I am with Amanda. I know you just wrapped up your race season, so let's start there. How are you feeling about 2016? How did things go? Um, I think it was mostly a mixed bag. Personally, I feel like it was a really good season for me. Um, I kind of had some a, a really frustrating way to start out the season. I... Uh, I tore my LCL in like February 28th. Um, and then I got like two days after I tore my LCL, after I'd been on the couch, I got really bad pneumonia and I'd been, it was really funny cause I'd been training super hard all winter. Um, like really looking forward to going into, you know, like Lord, you know, the first world cup and, and going in really, really strong. Um, and then things just kind of didn't come together and I, I mostly just ditched the plan to race. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to retire. Like, this is really dumb. And then I, like, starting, you know, mid-May, things just kind of came together real fast. Um, I had some really great support from, uh, you know, GT and Fox and a bunch of these different companies that were uh, suddenly hell-bent on seeing me race. So I was suddenly back in the game, like, as of June 1st. And ready to, like, I was, you know, I, I guess I was going to race. And then, you know, the week before I went to Angel Fire for the first pro GRT, like, literally, like, five days before that, I got clearance from my doctor to, to ride a bike. <laughs> Even though, I mean, like, I'd been riding. I shouldn't have been. But I, I basically got full medical clearance, like, a week before the race. And uh, so it was, it was definitely, like, a super rough start. But then, you know, I went into it. I got sixth at my first race out of, I think there were 13 or 14 women. So, like, not a, not a terrible result. Um, it was on a super wet track, so I wasn't stoked. But then the, um, you know, I, I kind of picked up momentum from there. I got um, everything after that point was a top five, except for Crankworks. Um, you know, every... Everything inside of the U.S., I guess I could say, from that point on was a top five. So I was super stoked on that. And uh, I actually didn't get hurt, like, a lot this year. Um, the only thing that – I feel like it went really well because the only the only issue that I really had was, you know, unfortunately the biggest race of the year was at Mont Saint-Anne where I sustained a minor concussion the first day of practice, but because of my – extensive concuss- concussive history and traumatic brain injury history, um, I was red carded immediately and uh, pulled from practice. And I was actually, 
uh, I was red carded. I wasn't allowed on course on my bike after that. So that was super disappointing. Went to Crankworks after that, raced the RDH for the first time. Finally was able to race the RDH, scared the shit out of myself. Um, you know, spent two and a half weeks at Crankworks, you know, in Whistler. And it was just a really successful summer, I feel like. My race results don't really reflect how I feel about the season, which is kind of funny because this is the first year I can definitely say that uh, that's that's like the first time it's happened. Um, but I, I feel really good. Uh, are you doing this all as a privateer? Like, are you putting together your own program? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I put together my own program, my own training, um, racing, all of it, you know, privateer style. Um, I had... You know, to be honest, I had a lot of support from some really awesome companies, you know, like Laser Helmets, GT, and Fox, and Hestra. Um, there, you know, it's it's always kind of hard as a privateer to piece together a summer. Um, and shockingly, like, um, you know, I, I I also had some some really fucking amazing friends who um, financially stepped up to the plate for me because you know there there was a point where I was like you know, I'm, I'm broke. I got to go back to Utah. Like, yeah, I'm done racing, you know, cause it, it is such a huge financial bur- burden that, um, but you know, I had some really incredible people who heard that, you know, I was, I was done. I was going home. And, uh, and they said, uh, uh-uh, no, you're not. You're going to stay out there. You've come this far and we'll, you know, we'll be damned if we see you finish it out this early. So, I, and the, I think the crazy part to me this summer was how many people stepped in to see me race. My, uh, I'm most familiar with like the big factory teams, like the syndicate and whoever else, and far less familiar with the privateer lifestyle. I guess, can you describe for people sort of what it is to put together your program and how that makes it harder to be a pro racer? So last winter, my program... I was basically working my ass off, um, training as much as I possibly could, and just socking money away in preparation um, for this year's race circuit. Uh, however, I had really shitty insurance over the winter, and uh, you know, unfortunately, having you know a knee issue and then you know being hospitalized and all of this stuff with pneumonia in the early spring, pretty much wiped out my um, World Cup fund. So. For a World Cup racer, like at that point, you know, you save, you try and get as much money from sponsors, you're putting together your own training programs, you're building up your own bikes. Like, um, you know, luckily I have, I have some really good friends, probably the most important people in my life, um, you know, Todd Saplavia at GT, who uh, wanted to see me race and got me my downhill rig. Like, I mean, literally, as a privateer who had just blown her race fund on, you know, medical bills, uh, without someone giving me a frame without, without Todd doing that, I wouldn't have raced this year, you know, and, and Ariel at Fox kind of did the same thing. But for a lot of privateers, putting all of that stuff together is so cost prohibitive. Like, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're responsible, you know, they might have piecemeal sponsors from, you know, like a hookup at Shimano or a hookup at Fox or, um, you know, hook up at GT where, you know, we get a discount on, on stuff or we'll get, you know, a couple of flow products here, but then we have to make everything else happen. Um, you know, luckily I've 
I've got, you know, a hookup with Chris King and like a bunch of other companies who essentially helped me put this bike together. Um, but you know, from there it was just, it was, it, and for some privateers, you know, some privateers they save and you know, they'll get, you know, they'll, they're really prepared going into a season and other privateers like me, you go into a season and we're literally going from weekend to weekend to weekend. Like if we have money left over to fly to Canada, we'll go race. Or, you know, if, if we have enough money to go to nationals, we'll go to nationals, you know? And so it's like when the money runs out or when, when you break your bike or when you can't afford to, you know, get somewhere, pay a race fee, buy a plane ticket, your car breaks down. Um, there's always these little things that kind of come up for a privateer where as opposed to a factory team, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't have therapists, we don't have coaches, we don't have factory mechanics. We're covering everything. You know, and it's really interesting being a privateer is because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, you, it, it, it's always, uh, to put it plainly, it's, I think that each athlete has their own demands, whether you're on a factory team or not. Um, but a factory team adds a whole shitload of, uh, of convenience, which enables an athlete to focus basically on one thing, which is racing. How... Uh, I mean, it sounds difficult, but how difficult would you say it is to carve out a living racing and riding mountain bikes for somebody who, somebody like yourself, who's not, uh, you know, not on a factory team with that level of support? Uh, to make a living, it's damn near impossible. I mean, it's literally, um, it's, I, I would be surprised if there is any privateer who's actually making money or, or making a living from it. Yeah. So given all that, why, I guess, what are your goals with racing and why, why put up with that stress and the difficulty and the financial burden of it? What keeps you going? Um, at this point, probably stubbornness. Um, I've been trying to race world cup since my first pro season when I earned the points and qualified, um, to go to Norway and, I have still unfortunately been unable to race a, a fucking world cup. I'm, I'm, I'm hell bent on it. You know, I sunk my teeth into it and I'll be goddamned if I walk away before I succeed. And for me, that's, um, like, you know, I went to Mont St. Anne, um, you know, I went to, I went to angel fire for nine weeks before Mont St. Anne because it's the, it's the steepest, longest, roughest series of courses in North America. I would, I would argue um, it's, it's one of the, you know, Angel Fire, New Mexico, it's at, you know, anywhere from 92 to 11,000 feet in elevation. The courses are anywhere from two to three miles long. Um, they're high speed as shit. I mean, my average speed at the end of the summer coming out of, uh, Angel Fire was 30 miles an hour down the race course, which I mean, arguably it's an excellent place to train. So I was there for nine weeks before I went to Mont St. Anne, um, and, you know, and then I knocked myself out, literally out of the competition. So it's it's one of those things where I've had kind of shit luck, but I do this because I have something to prove to myself. I, I you know, and, and there's been like a lot of, there's, a, there's so much shit talked. Um, 
about how, you know, I, I can't qualify or like I can't race or whatever. But it's, it, you know, it doesn't really come down to that for me. It comes down to, let's just say that an athlete can't ever do something. They can't, they can't do what they do for someone else. And I'm no different. This, this is for me. And, you know, this, this summer going to Crankworks, racing the RDH, um, that was for me. And I'm fully, con- I, I guess that's, I guess that's ultimately what it is. I'm, I'm still in this because I'm delusional enough to think that I can do it and I'm not going to give up until I can, until I do, you know, until I, until I fucking handle my shit. And I, I, that definitely makes me crazy, but you know, crazy or not, that's, that's the reality. This is something that I need to accomplish. Yeah. I would imagine that that's gotta be some somewhat of a similar story for any athlete who's still trying to make it, uh, for lack of a better term. Like you have to be sort of driven by some sense. I mean, I guess that's true outside of athletics too. Like any sort of ambitious goal, like you have to be slightly delusional that you're special enough to succeed until you succeed. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, if that's, if I have one defining characteristic, I would definitely say that it's stubborn determination. I am. And and, and I think that this also, for me, it's, it's also bigger than me. It's always kind of been bigger than me when I decided to go pro, like after my first pro year, especially, um, and the ensuing chaos of all the pink bike shit and whatnot. Um, I want to prove that it can be done. I want to prove that an unsupported American woman can go and not just qualify, um, but can go and throw down. An unsupported American woman who is, frankly, um, seen as a troublemaker. I want to prove that I can do it. And I, and I think that that, for me is like on the days where I don't really want to go get out of bed and go to the gym, like on the days on the race weekends where I was like, Oh man, fuck this. I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to, I'm just not feeling it. Um, I think that that's what kind of holds me up is this belief that, um, that, that impossible is, is bullshit. That's what I want to prove. And, and not just to, not just, not just for little girls, but also to, to whatever, you know, fucked up child psychology, that I have in my, you know, in myself. I want to prove this to myself because so many people have told me I can't, that it's impossible, that you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough. And, and you know, it's it's not about them. It's it's about me. I have to prove this to myself. And I want to do it my first pro year. I want to do my second pro year. I want to do my third pro year. Um, and I want to do it within five years of racing. You know, 2017 will be my fifth year racing and uh total racing mountain bikes and i'd like that's that's the new goal is to go into 2017 healthy and strong and just ready to kick some ass cool that seems like a good goal jumping back tell me How'd you get started in bike racing in the first place? It's obviously a relatively new thing to you, for you. Um, a boyfriend, actually. Um, a, a, a quarter-life crisis. 
a boyfriend and then a relationship that ended, I guess. Um, I'd been mountain biking for a while. I, I'd been downhilling for a, for a while. Um, and you know, I thought I was, I thought I was, you know, pretty good. And I thought it, you know, I kind of wanted to sign up for a race in 2010 and then kind of wanted to sign up for a race in 2011. And the guy that I was dating had raced a little bit and the, and he's like, you know, if you think you're so good, he's like, sign up and fucking race. He's like, stop, you know, stop talking about it and do it. And then it was just kind of that, you know, I turned 25 and this relationship that I'd been in for a long time ended. Um, and I guess, you know, I guess it started out the same way that I kind of am here now. You know, I just wanted to prove that I could, you know, com- competitive sports, were never really my thing before that. I would never really push myself into situations that made me uncomfortable. And even like, even the day of the race, like I showed up of my first race in 2012, I remember it so well. It was like pissing rain. It had been pissing all weekend here in Utah. And I showed up and I, um, yeah, I looked at my best friend and I was like, I don't think I can do this. And he's like, he's like, really? He's like, I don't think you can either. It's like, I think you're going to bail. So I think you're going to back out. And I just started laughing. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not. And uh, I didn't. You know, I went up to the top and rolled through the gate and raced a couple of runs. The first run, I was so tense and so shaky that I got down. And I was like, I think I lost. And it was like a seven-minute run. Um, it was a terrible run. And it was a two-run format. And uh, so best friend hands me a bottle of a... Uh, a bottle of Jameson and says, take a couple of shots and go back up and do it again. <laughs> so had a couple of shots and a beer. I'm not advocating riding while drunk. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it works, you know, for me, I cut like two minutes off my race time and ended up on the podium. That was the hook for me. I did something I didn't think I was going to be able to do. That, and that was, that was so powerful. That was, to me, that was kind of what I'd been waiting for my whole life. I just hadn't, I just hadn't because my, I think, you know, before that my whole life had been this, I'd always been really athletic. Everything has really come to me fairly easy and, uh, I don't get, I don't really get scared much and I didn't ever back out of a challenge, but downhilling and, you know, like racing bikes was something that, my fear of getting tangled up in the bike was just this eternal uh, kind of troll that sat on the back of my neck. And after that first race, like that power of being able to say fuck you to your biggest fear and actually getting on the bike and going down the mountain, that's powerful. And to me, that was, that was it. And it, it only happens on a bike. Like it only happens on a bike, on skis, on a snowboard, on, you know, in, in pretty much any other situation except for heights. Um, I'm pretty okay with, you know, my fears and my limits, but on a bike, there's something just intrinsically challenging about it for me that hasn't gone away. I don't know if it will, but that's, you know, that's why I'm still here. That's why I'm still, you know, doing it. And I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Um, how did you get started 
in mountain biking in the first place? Was it that boyfriend? No, I actually, um, so I grew up in Utah and I, I had mountain bikes all through my childhood. Um, you know, like we, we didn't call it mountain biking, but I grew up at the base of Mount Nebo, um, right below the Nebo loop in Payson. And, uh, I, you know, we just mountain biked in the hills. You know, my dad would, you know, we'd take bikes on every camping trip and my dad would tow us behind the horses on the really hard uphills. And we'd like, you know, just recklessly bomb down the hills. You know, I spent my childhood kind of jumping into lakes and shit on my bike, but it was just, you know, we're just riding bikes. And then in high school, uh, my freshman year of high school, I took a science class where the teacher was a, just a genius. And he made sure that all of us, like, you know, we were required to have a mountain bike at the beginning of the class. We were, you know, we learned how to cross-country ski. We went on these crazy-ass adventures. Um, and uh, the requirement was that we had to uh, own, a, own a mountain bike at the beginning of the class. And so the summer before the class started, I uh, saved up and bought my very first full-suspension mountain bike. It was an old Y-frame at a city auction. So that was... That was when I started mountain biking officially. Um, I didn't consider myself a mountain biker till 10 years ago um, when, you know, like I, my adult life moved to Park City, started mountain biking, um, hated pedaling, started downhilling at Deer Valley and just fell head over heels in love with that. It was, you know, for the same reason that I fell in love with racing, I guess it was terrifying and uh, the, you know, the first time I, first time I rode a, a downhill bike, it was a K2 Firebird. It was like a 1992 K2 Firebird. Um, I think that most people don't even know that K2 used to make bikes, but it's just this janky ass bike. And, uh, I think it was hundred percent steel, but I ended up like crying and throwing the bike the first day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then because I'm stubborn, I went back and tried it, and and downhill was the thing. That was that was it for me. And then you know, after that, everything just kind of fell into place. Cool. Um, jumping ahead in your life, uh, let's talk about pink bike. Um, oh to start, what was your role there? How did you end up as a paid writer? Um, so I've, I've probably been typing shit and putting it out into the ether since I was like 14 or 15, long time. Like I was always kind of, kind of an internet kid. Um, I would type, you know, ridiculous stories in school and just, there was something about the keyboard and just kind of getting it out. Um, and so when I was, I was on Pinkbike just as a user and, uh, I, one morning I just kind of fell in love with racing. You know, I, I felt like I had to write this ode to racing. Um, you know, why I'll always love racing, you know, like that's, that was like this thing. And I wrote about, um, you know, I wrote about my love for the people and the racing and, um, I'd written some, you know, I'd always commented, I'd always been pretty active on, you know, about commenting and, forum use and whatever and one of the editors Tyler Maine um great guy 
he contacted me and said, Hey, you know, you seem pretty opinionated. We like, you know, and, and this racing article, it got, I submitted it. Someone said, you should submit this to the editors. I submitted it and it went to the main page. So editors saw this, they'd seen my comments, um, you know, that were not full of grammatical errors, I think was the basis. And they said, you know, you're pretty opinionated and you know, you, you can spell words. So how do you feel about your own column? I, was ecstatic. They were like, you know, we'll pay you a certain number, you know, a certain amount for every post that you put out and, you know, we'll give you your column. So that's kind of that. I was just, I was a paid columnist and that's how I got started. Gotcha. And what sort of stuff were you writing about in your column? Um, basically they gave me free reign. Um, there was never this, you know, there was never an outline about what I could write. It was always this, uh, you're you're an opinionated bitch, so write whatever you want. People will read it. Uh, so I did. Gotcha. Um, I, I wrote about I wrote about a lot, you know, like racing and online culture. Um, you know, like women in bikes, and uh, I wrote a bunch of shit. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I guess probably we should tell in case anybody doesn't know. In case somehow someone listens to this podcast but doesn't know Pink Bike, um, it is, I think, probably safe to say the most visited bike media website has the most traffic of. It is. It is actually the world's largest online action sports community. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. So PinkBike.com. It's a great site. Lots of coverage. Um, probably, definitely. Um, the most active user base of any, I would say of any sports community that I've seen outside of like betting sites and, you know, sports gambling sites. Like it's, it's a really engaged audience. Um, I, I wouldn't even call it, call it an audience. It's mostly, it's a more of a community that, yeah, it's a, it's a good community. It's yeah, it's big. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's important context for, what happened at the end of your time in pink bike. Can you, uh, give me sort of the, well, not the short version. Give me as much version as you want of what happened when everything um, came crashing down there. I'll give you the short version. Cause I've talked about this goddamn shit so many times. It basically, there was a, there's a series of equipment reviews that I felt were disrespectful towards women and that encouraged perpetuation of rape culture. Um, and I had seen quite a few of them, and the there was one in like late 2014, I think it was, that just kind of it was enough. It was like it said something about how uh, the bike is, you know, it was a specialized. I think it was a demo or something. Um, it said about how the demo is like a girlfriend after too much to drink, in that it'll do anything you want. Um, Felt it was really creepy. Felt it kind of contributed to a little bit of the uh, the rape culture issues that we have going on. Felt it was, you know, I'm a big believer in fun sex, which, you know, is about consent from both parties. Um, so I said as much to the, that effect. Um, and it kind of got out of control after that. Um, I got some weird messages. Uh, I didn't think it was a big deal. It was just a couple of comments that, you know, 
I usually did. Um, I, you know, I usually, I was really opinionated on pink bike. That's why they gave me a fucking column in the first place. And I just said, yo, this is really fucked up. Like you should not be writing this shit. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't even the first person to comment about how fucked up it was, but, uh, I was the first woman to comment. And then I said, uh, this is super rapey. Like this is contributing to rape culture and people lost it. Like there were like people in the comments kind of were like, and I, I, I'm not going to pretend that I was well liked before that. I wasn't like I said some things that a lot of people disagreed with. Cool. Um, but you know, like once you drop the word rape culture, it's a pretty polarizing term. Um, and I got like death threats and like rape threats and like shit that you wouldn't even like what? And, you know, I got a call from my editor who was like, you can't say that you shouldn't be so overtly critical of someone, you know, like an, of another staff members writing. And, you know, at the time the person, that person who wrote the review, well, they were, and they still are, they were like a senior editorial staff member. So basically my editor called me and was like, dude, you can't say that. Um, and I was like, yes, I can. Cause it needs to be said. And I don't give a shit what my affiliate, you know, what my affiliation with Thinkbike is. I'm going to call things like I see them, you know, and then that has never changed. I've always kind of been like that. Um, if I, if I see something that's fucking, that's weird, I'm pretty easygoing. But if, if something's fucked up, I'm going to say, yo, this is fucked up. And you know, I'm wrong a lot. So just going to throw that out there. Sometimes I make a call and I'm like, this is fucked up. I don't have all the information. Um, but a lot of the times, like I go out of my way to make sure that I'm educated and I'd seen, you know, I'd seen other reviews, other technical reviews about bikes that negatively spoke about women. They were just like, dude, this is about fucking bikes. Like, why do you have to insert misogyny or like sexism into this shit? Like, there's no point in what's the point. I, I just don't get it. I think that bikes should be out, be about fun and that ultimately we should be building community by making bikes pretty inclusive. I don't see the point in putting hate out about a certain gender. And so immediately after that, my articles were no longer approved. My column articles started being denied. They weren't published by the editorial board. They weren't going on the main page and I was never given a heads up as to why they just stopped getting published. Um, I had an inkling that it had something to do with me calling out the rape culture shit. And so in January of 2015, it had been about six months since this stuff went down. Um, I started questioning my editor, like, yo, is this why, like, the fuck's going on? Like, I know that I probably stepped on some toes, but, like, honestly, we all know there was a problem. Why is my shit not getting published? Because at this, at this point, it was a revenue stream for me. As, you know, especially as a privateer, as as a freelance writer, as a business owner, that was a stream of revenue that I, you know, it wasn't small. And, you know, I, I needed to pay bills. So, um, you know, we started talking and then there was a meeting that was planned to be set up. And, you know, the meeting, this explanation, this conversation never went through. Um, my column continued to be unpublished until, um, until the end of April. And I started racing and I broke my collarbone in April of 2015, the day before my birthday, which sucked. Um, and then I was bored. 
I started getting pissed off. Um, I couldn't race my, I didn't, I had really little money coming in and I was really frustrated. I couldn't get a straight answer. And, uh, I had been emailing my editor back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like trying to get a straight answer, trying to get any answer, trying to get, trying to figure out what the fuck was going on with my column, um, with the sudden, you know, radio silence. And one night I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm out. So I decided to write basically a quick synopsis of why I was leaving. And I titled it super creatively. Um, <laughs> why I'm leaving pink bike and, uh, posted on my pink bike profile, posted on my website and didn't put it on social media. Didn't like bump it. Didn't share it anywhere else. Just, just put it up as kind of a, this is what's going on. I'm not doing this anymore. This is fucked up. I'm out. And, um, uh, Shit hit the fan. I think I think that's an appropriate term. Yeah. Shit hit the fan. Um, in the industry, like, I lost longtime friends. People that, uh, I was accused of a lot of shit. Like, oh my God. Like, that I was fired. I mean, there were rumors that, like, I was trying to get attention. That I had a victim complex. That, like, you know, like, classic, like, classic shit they say about, you know, a lot of, a lot of women who, uh, don't do what they're told mostly, but just, just a lot of bullshit. Like that, you know, I was a pathological liar that, um, I mean, I got, and, and if I, if I had thought the other death threats were weird, like the new threats were unbelievable because the, the problem was, is that I guess what I was doing had been so, it was so taboo by leaving pink bike and talking about why I was leaving pink bike that larger media sources picked it up. Business Insider, Yahoo Finance, Glamour Magazine. Um, I don't know, like a handful of like mainstream media outlets picked it up and were talking about sexism in sport, basically. Because ultimately that's why I had been blackballed and that's why I left. And uh, so people picked it up and it went fucking, oh my God. Like someone published my home address online, which is super cool. I got a pizza. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just like this barrage of just bullshit for months, like the whole summer. Yeah. Um, it was really funny because then I was suddenly labeled like the sexism and cycling queen expert. I had been, I had been talking about sexism for a long time. Like I'd been talking about the way that we see female athletes. Like, I mean, the first published blog that I have about it is like 2012, like years before any of this went down. Um, and I, I've, the, and I think the most ironic part about all of it is that mountain biking actually turned me into a feminist. Um, cause before mountain biking, I didn't really think much of like, I didn't think much about it. I didn't really care. And then I started mountain biking and I was like, you know what? I want to be seen as a human, not like a vagina on a bike. And, uh, it became this, thing I guess that now I get to always deal with um yeah long and short of it that's the pink bike thing yeah I mean so <laughs> the fallout from all of that uh was I'm pretty sure the first I'd heard of you I'll admit uh 
I saw yeah. like Red Kite, <laughs> Red Kite Prayer wrote about it and some other cycling media. And then, yeah, like you said, it made it into the mainstream media. And uh, it was horrifying, though also uh, sadly unsurprising. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I remember even just like tweeting, I think, a link to your blog post and getting some like gross Gamergate trolls responding to me. Uh, with like social justice warrior stuff and then which was just like uh, a tiny glimpse into the sort of garbage you were clearly dealing with at the time which was even more horrifying yeah it was the whole thing was just like I look at it now and I kind of laugh because not much has honestly changed um I mean like a lot has changed but yeah like I didn't actually realize I think that I had been pretty insulated at that point um, and really fucking naive about how much sexism there is inside of cycling, um, and in sporting in general. And then even after I had said, you know, like the rape culture comment on pink bike, I think I underestimated like how, how much vitriol and how much it didn't, I don't know. It, it didn't seem like a, Yeah. It didn't seem like a big deal to me to call it out because it was just like, this is pretty obvious that this is a problem. Like, I'm not making it up. And and the thing is, is after Pinkbike, I guess, was comment was contacted by multiple mainstream media um, outlets, they they went back in and they actually changed the review. They took the line out completely that I had first taken issue with, which if there wasn't a problem, why'd the line get removed? And ultimately, they went back through all of the reviews that this person had written and edited them because there was such a big problem. I think there were probably seven or eight different reviews that were edited. Hmm. And so to me, that, that it's not just like, oh, haha, I was right, because I don't fucking give a shit about that. It's not about that. It's, it's about the fact that we're literally like, on one hand, we're bitching about how downhill is dying or we're bitching about how nobody wants to buy downhill legs or we're bitching or we're, we bitch about everything but then we specifically and intentionally alienate the fastest growing demographic like that just doesn't what's the point like they're people we're people everybody is people it's like like it, it just it just seemed fucking weird to me and, and I think up until even that point, I didn't really understand the level at which the level of resistance that I was going to get. I definitely underestimated like how much uh, anti-lady rhetoric there was, I guess you can call it. Um, yeah, definitely underestimated that. Yeah. I thought I was not aware of how much women seemed to piss off the uh the greater bike demographic or the or not not the greater bike demographic because that's not even close to being true i would say the most vocal bike demographic on the internet yeah yeah so. definitely talking about the prevalence of it like at, you know look at this moment we're in right now in our national politics like it's been made crystal clear by the trump campaign and the response from his supporters that rape culture is still this pervasive issue everywhere so it's not 
really that surprising looking back that rape culture is also prevalent in a male-dominated sport like cycling. But yeah. uh, one, that certainly doesn't make it any less depressing uh, that that is the reaction to your attempt to have a conversation about it. Um, I guess uh, with the caveat that, like, as is the case in culture at large, it's, you know, more on men to fix the problem of rape culture than it is on women. With that said, I'm curious, sort of your thoughts on, like, where does the industry go from here? How do you sort of, how do you move, not move on from this, but how do you fix this problem where women are seen as, I don't know, an enemy in the industry or an inconvenience or uh, overly sensitive for calling out rape culture as they see it or whatever else garbage you had to deal with. Like what, what do you think, what have you thought about for sort of like fixing this problem? Um, you know, I think that, I think that it comes down to like fixing the larger problem. Like there will never not be a group of people who see women as less than like ever there will, there will always be a certain faction of people who, who see women and people of color and minorities. And there will always be somebody who believes that they're better than another person. There's always going to believe someone who there's always going to be people who think that their lives are more important, more valuable, have, have whatever, that they are more entitled based on any number of random ass shit that they decide, whether it's the color of their skin, whether it's the plumbing that they have, whether it's, there will always be people like that. However, it's my job to not just silence those people. It's my job to draw them out and ruin them. And, and that sounds fucking crazy. I think that whether it's in everyday culture, popular culture, or, you know, whatever, mainstream, or in the bike community, I think that forcing the shit to the top and then scooping it out and burning it is key. And when I came to the party, I guess you could say with my rage, yeah, we'll just call it rage. Um, when I, when me and my rage came to the party, there was, there was a lot of shit that floated to the top. Um, Unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess you can say, there were a lot of people who ruined their careers over it. There were a lot of people inside of the bike industry who outed themselves as assholes. Not just assholes, but misogynist, prick bastard assholes. Um, and, you know, just like the Donald Trump, I think that there are, there are watershed moments. And when it comes down to fixing it, when what I think the fix is, yes, the onus is on men because unfortunately you guys have the power, like sucks to say that's how it goes. Like I can't, you know, pretending otherwise is just dumb. Um, 
But I think it also comes down to women who don't honestly give a fuck. And that's, and that's where the buck stops is with women who are like, nope, not going to handle this, not going to tolerate this, not going to put up with this. You're out. I'm done. Um, on 4chan, when I found my home address published and my phone number, I posted about it. And I said, I dare you motherfuckers to show up. I'll be waiting. And the funny thing is, is not a single goddamn person came to my door. Still haven't. I have not had a single person show up. Ultimately, bike nerds are kind of scaredy cats, um, especially the ones that hide behind computer screens. Bike nerds won't even confront each other at a fucking race that they're both at. Like nobody, nobody, here's, that's the funny thing is not a single person has come up to me at a bike race negatively and said, you're a fucking bitch. You need to burn in hell. Blah, 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 blah. Nobody, not one person has said that out loud to my face. And that's the funniest part to me is because they're ballsy enough to publish my home address online, but they won't even come up to me at a motherfucking race, which, and, and for every, for every single person who has had something to say, none of them will say it to my face. It's a tough answer, however, and this is not going to be a popular answer. I think that the more women who stand up and say, fuck you, you're not allowed to treat me that way. And the more men who support women who stand up and say, I won't be treated this way. That's how we solve the problem. At this point, this is about grown women saying, fuck you, I will end you. This is about screenshotting violent hate speech and sending it to someone's employer. This is about, this is about, and, and as crazy as this is going to sound, this is about ultimately solving the problem by negating the problem. If these people feel so safe and so controlled and, and so in control of this situation that they are more than happy to retweet a woman's home address because they don't like that she's coming out about being sexually assaulted by a presidential candidate. This is when I would say it is time to destabilize their entire world. Anyone who does that, whether it's inside of the bike industry or out, if you, if you endorse sexual assault, if you joke about sexual assault, if there is anything about sexual assault that is not taken seriously, you deserve to lose your job, your house. You deserve to lose everything because there are hundreds of thousands of women in this country and outside, millions of women who deal with sexual assault every day, day in, day out. It is not a joke. It's not funny to joke about. It's not okay to joke about hating women, sexually assaulting women. Consent is awesome. And like that's, that's what comes back to my pink bike thing. To someone... To someone who has been date, date raped or who has been too drunk and taken advantage of by someone that they trust, that joke's not funny. That joke is not a joke. That joke is now when they went to read a fucking bike review, that joke has now created a situation where they are confronted by someone who assaulted them. And that's where, that's where personally for me the line stops is because women aren't objects. 
Women are not blow up dolls. Women are humans with their own rights. And when there is media, when there is, when there are all of these things that endorse the dehumanization and, and the objectification of women, and they are laughed at and they are joked about and they are constantly promoted and pushed forward. That's when I, that's when I'm done. I don't like I, and I, here's the thing is I see so many more dudes now standing up and saying, what the fuck is this shit? than I did two years ago, three years ago. than I did a year ago, a year ago, A year ago, I was still suffering fallout for actually speaking out and leaving a job where I was actually told to keep my mouth shut about certain things. A year ago, I didn't even go to Interbike to look for sponsors because I knew what was going to happen. And the fact that there are guys standing up and saying, hold up, this isn't okay, is great. However there's still a lot of guys who are sitting down and that kind of, that, that rubs me the wrong way. And it doesn't make me per se an angry feminist. What it does kind of make me is just a a grumpy human. Um, Because there, it's not just about rape culture. It's not just about, economics it's not just about it's not just about one thing it's it's about so many different avenues but it's about sustainability it's about all of these different factors that if we dismiss half the population i don't know maybe you know what you know what it probably is josh it's that at the end of the day I've always seen myself as an equal. Yeah. And and anyone who tells me otherwise is just up in the night. And and I think that's ultimately what it is. It's that I want to be able to do my fucking job without a reminder that I'm inferior or that I matter less or that I somehow I'm less economically valuable because I lost a genetic lottery that left me a girl. And I think that's I think that's what most women and girls want. And I don't think the bike industry is some place that I should have to fight for dignity. I think that bikes are a great equalizer. I think that two wheels have a really, really, really excellent way of kind of evening out the playing field. And, and when it's skewed so that the playing field isn't equal on two wheels that's when I'm gonna have a problem and that's what it really is so maybe it's maybe it it is probably ultimately selfish Mm, I don't know about that Um, (laughs) uh, in your self-interest maybe but not selfish by any stretch Um, but it seems pretty okay to care about your self-interest when your self-interest is like safety and not being the target of uh, the internet's abuse. Um, It's been a year and a bit after uh, the pink bike fallout. How 
how are you doing? How how do you feel? I mean, clearly it's still an important issue to you, but uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm actually really good. And I don't regret the pink bike thing happening. I actually, um, I actually feel like it's a really good thing because there are times when there are very clear lines about who I am and what I will, will and will not tolerate. And I think that the, having been in the snowboard industry for so long before I got into the bike industry, um, a short four years ago, which seems like an eternity. Um, I was in the ski and snowboard industry for a long time. And I think that in the outdoor industry in general, there's a lot of, there's a lot of muddy waters. I think that sometimes you can, you can think that one thing is happening and an entirely different thing will be happening. I think that there's a lot of, I think that there's a lot of gray areas in the outdoor industry and the bike industry is no different. However, with the pink bike thing, I, I made it very clear that bullshit isn't going to be entertained or tolerated. And the cool thing about it is that I wasn't the only one. I think that there were a lot of women waiting for that to happen. I think that there were a lot of women who were sick and tired of the status quo, but were worried about the consequences of speaking out. And I didn't just blow the box up. Um, I burned the house down. And I made it... Yes, it was at the expense of myself for a while, but I also... There have been a lot of women who have approached me and said, oh my God, I've been noticing this shit happening for years now. And only in the past, you know, like year and a half have I felt actually comfortable talking about it or recognizing it or actually saying it out loud. Um, you know, whatever problem they're having and, and raising these concerns and actually being critical of an industry that quite frankly, doesn't really handle criticism well. Um, it, it tends to kind of ostracize people who speak out. And I think that that's a huge silver lining of it is that my, that my inability to keep my mouth shut or my unwillingness to keep it shut. I think that there are a lot of, I think that there were a lot of bonuses to that, including women who feel more comfortable than ever voicing their own opinions, even if they don't agree with me. That's awesome. Like, I don't have the corner on the opinion market. And so I think that there are women who are finally, for the first time, super comfortable with speaking out. I think that there are guys who, however marginalized, I think that there there is a whole segment of people who felt marginalized and silenced that now are like, well, shit. She's still here. Let's burn some shit of our own down. Like, I think that's awesome. Like, burn it down. I, that's, you know, that's honestly the only way we're ever going to get positive change and growth is like healthy, you know, healthy forests don't burn. Forest fires are often way better for forests than, than not, you know. And, and I think groupthink is the same way. You get, you get too much of this incestuous yes man head nodding 
bullshit that it just becomes this echo chamber of really bad ideas and and it becomes really exclusive and it doesn't it doesn't foster new ideas it doesn't help progression it doesn't create change and it just stays stagnant it's it's really interesting to to see the market to see the bike market now especially um you know and some of it's been really good some of it's been really fucking crazy but you know it's i'm good i feel i feel like the industry is recognizing women now i think that the women are less of tokens at this point and they're more actually people they're contributors they're collaborators they're they're creators and i think that that makes me happy that like I look at that and I see I see women on committees. I see women in videos. I see women everywhere, and not just as token sexual objects or like token teammates or like token board members or token committee, you know, contributors that are drowned out. I, they're actual, they're members, they're people, and you know, most of all, I think that they're they're writers, and that that stokes me out is when women are seen as, as act women have value. And I think that that is, you know, it, it, it wasn't pretty and, and, you know, it still isn't pretty. I think that we have a long way to go. Um, the internet will always be a funny place to me, especially for me. Um, but you know, that's the beauty of it is that there is so much difference. And the one thing that brings us back is this, our love of this thing. You know, so it's, we'll see. But yeah, I'm good. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear it. And uh, that seems like as good a spot to call it as any. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to share and hey. being so open. And this was great. Thanks for giving me a call. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to talk to you. So anytime, anytime you want to chat, I appreciate it, Josh. All right. Thanks so much, Amanda. This episode of The Bicycle Store was produced by me, Josh Cohen. Thanks again to Amanda for taking the time to share her experience. You can find her at amandabatty.com. Our theme music is by Will McKinley Ward. His band is at fellowcreaturesmusic.com. As always, if you liked the episode, please rate it in iTunes, subscribe, share it with your friends, and consider making a pledge at patreon.com slash thebicyclestory. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thebicyclestory. Thanks so much for listening.